All right, here we go. Are you guys ready? We are going to bring this fresh series to a conclusion. And uh, my prayer and hope is that uh, you have gotten a fresh perspective on the fruit of the Spirit. If you are a guest with us and you're maybe unfamiliar with with our series, we've been on an 11-week journey discovering the fruit of the Spirit together and praying and revealing that the Lord would begin to cultivate in us, reveal in us, and help us to see where there is healthy fruit and where there's some areas in our life that need a little attention. And our hopes would be that it would help us to continue to be more like Christ, that we would continue to be representation of heaven, and that people would know us by our fruit. And so we've been looking at this, uh, this text in Galatians chapter 5, and, and once more, let's turn to Galatians chapter 5. If you have your Bible, do so. If not, you can follow along with us on the screens to my left or right. And uh, Galatians chapter 5, this is uh, the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Galatia. And uh, we, we, we've been looking at 16 through 26, and throughout the last 11 weeks, we've kind of, you know, dissected this and, and unpacked different portions of it. But I wanted to, as we bring this to a conclusion, uh, recap it in its entirety, hoping that it would help us uh, take this next step into this new season. So, so read along with me, Matthew chapter 6, verse 16, it says this, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not be gratified You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Let me just pause for a second. I've had this underlined every week because it's kind of been my own personal like um, challenge that I can't do whatever I want. Like as I've pursued and desired to, to be more like Christ and to see the fruit of the Spirit be, be cultivated and, and for it to, to nourish my life, I've come to realize that, that I can't just do whatever I want. And can I just be honest with you selfishly? That's hard and frustrating. Anyone else agree? Like, you know, did anyone else get, feel like you got punched in the gut every time I read that this, this, this series? I mean, I did. Every time I read it, I just felt like I was sitting there just punching myself in the gut. So, so if anybody else is with me, great. If not, I'll just kind of get punched by myself. But verse 18 says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. It's really important to highlight that to this morning. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. It's going to help us as we bring this series to a conclusion. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. I'd also, I'd also like to admit that I noticed that, that I always kind of read through like 17, 16 through 21 relatively fast, and then I get to verse 22, and I tend to slow down just a little bit. Anybody else notice that? 
just, just again, some observations. I, I, I've listened to a few of these messages myself, and I've come to realize, like, wow, I kind of just skipped through those pretty quickly. And then I just slowed down. Patience, kindness, goodness. Today's message title is Against Such Things. Against Such Things. I, 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 um, I've got to uh, offer a, a, another admission. I, when I did this outline, I had uh, written down uh, the last week would be a, this very subject. And, um, and when I shared it with Katie and I shared it with Brandon Cole, who you know, pastor of C3 Fort Worth, he's uh, a good, my very good friend. He actually asked me, he goes, what are you going to do with that? I don't know. <laughs> what are you going to do with that? Nothing. I'm moving on. <laughs> I'm good. I, I finished with, with self-control, and, and uh, away we go into the next season. I'm like, oh, cool. Well, all right. And like, I'm kind of like a rule follower. So I wrote it down, and I felt really convicted that if I wrote it down, that means that God had an intention for it, so I better find it. And, uh, and I even thought to myself, you know, I could just you know, move on too and be content, and that'll be cool. And then I, I couldn't. So here we go. We're going to talk about against such things. Let me pray for us, and uh, hopefully this will be an encouragement to us. Heavenly Father, I pray that today we may live in your presence and please you more and more. Lord, I pray that today we may take up our cross and follow you. Holy Spirit, I pray that today you will fill us with yourself and cause your fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control to ripen in our life. Amen. Against such things. Against such things. Against love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Paul is saying there is no law. There's no law. And I don't don't know about you, but but this was the the note that I had written down in my my outline was, was why and how. And then how and why? Like, how and why is that? And, and if you've been following along, you know that I used a book uh, written by a gentleman by the name of Christopher Wright, uh, who just did an extraordinary job outlining and breaking down even deeper this idea of, of being people who uh, walk with and keep in step with the Spirit, and as a result, see the fruit of the Spirit mature and grow in our life. He, he says it like this. He says that these qualities, and, and maybe this helps us answer the question, why and how is it that there's no law against such things? He says, these qualities are character virtues. You can't legislate to make people believe this way. People will do these things because of who they are, not because there are laws that compel them to do it. I would maybe submit to you that that would be like getting my kids to clean their room. Not because it's a law, because that's who they are. They're clean and tidy people. And sometimes we're still working on that. He's, he's offering us that same thought here, that people will do these things because of who they are. When we spend time in the presence of God, when we keep in step with him, they become something that we are, not something that is told of us or we're compelled to become. The law is not really relevant here then, in that case, is what he's saying. 
And, and he goes on even further. He says, in other words, here are some characteristics, qualities that the Holy Spirit will produce like fruit in our life as he lives within us. As he lives within us. These things are not like legislation. This kind of life is not a matter of law at all. This kind of Christ-like character does not come from submitting to the law, but from submitting to Christ by faith and living your life under the power and guidance of his spirit. I'm just going to let that sink in for a second. That's a lot. What Paul is saying here is this, is that when we put our faith in Jesus, or as, as we've identified, when we confess and repent of our sins and we put our faith in him, and as a result of that, we are then offered his spirit that we receive, we will then manifest the fruit of the spirit, which will produce Christ-like character. That's how we become more Christ-like. And as a result, we will, in fact, fulfill the law of Christ far more than those who insist on Jewish legislation and ceremonies, which was pretty customary of the day, particularly to the audience that Paul was speaking to, and especially far more than those who follow the works of the flesh. Against such things, there is no law. And it was an encouragement to me because the more I read Paul's work, the more I discover just how bold and matter-of-fact he writes. I often would think that when I, if I was to just be in Paul's presence, I would constantly be offended because <laughs> he's just so matter-of-fact. He's so specific and so blunt. He does it with such grace. I, I th anyway, I won't go. I, I, you know, some people ask, like, if you can meet anybody in the world, I still come back to I'd love to sit down with the Apostle Paul. Jesus would be like at the highest level. Will and I were talking about this the other day, and I don't know that I could. As soon as I just got into Jesus' presence, I'd just fall down and go, I'm not worthy. <laughs> Take me now. But with Paul, at least I could feel like, I'm sorry, Lord, but let me pull up a chair. You know? And, and we find that in this text, he says, so, so matter-of-factly, against such thing, there is no law, period. That's it. Point blank. There is no law. There's no law against love. There's no law against joy, against peace, against patience, against kindness, against goodness, against faithfulness, against gentleness and self-control. How could there be? I mean, have you ever met a more joyful person than Franz? No. How do you have any law against that guy? Have you met anybody more generous than John Walker? No. And I'm not going to legislate anything he does. Just keep doing what you do. I, I, I'm just, I want to help us to see this here for a second. It's so important. But more so, he is saying, if a person has the, this fruit of the Spirit, what Paul is really saying is he doesn't need the law. He's already fulfilled it. He, he is already fulfilling it. He, he is, in fact, fulfilling the law when this type of fruit is produced and cultivated in one's life, which is, which is exactly what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and 17. He says this. He says, he did not come to abolish the law, but rather to what? Fulfill the law. I didn't come to disrupt it. 
I didn't come to tear it down. I came to fulfill it. And I think that if the whole emphasis of being filled with the Spirit is to bear the image of Christ, to be more like Christ, then, then we too, as those who have been filled with the Spirit and are now learning to walk and keep in step with the Spirit, would then also fulfill the law of Christ as well. Anybody confused? Hang out with me, okay, for just a second. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me just help us here. You see, the fruit of the Spirit continues to mature in us as we learn to keep in step with Him, as Paul instructs. It is then we will understand that we don't need the law as outlined in the Torah. I want to be very clear. There's a difference between the laws of the land, which the Bible is very clear, honor the laws of your land, but specifically what Paul was speaking to was the law of the Torah. It is fulfilled in us as Christ, ready, is in us. The law is fulfilled in us, which is why we have no need for the law against such things as Christ is in us. So if Christ is in you and the Spirit is cultivating the fruit of the Spirit in you, then against you, such things that are manufactured and cultivated and produced in you, he's saying there is no law. Let me just offer you quickly uh, what, what the law specific to Jesus completing and what Paul was referring to as an overview. If you recall in our disciple series, we actually broke this down uh, earlier on in the series as Jesus taught about it in the Sermon on the Mount. Very, very simply, the law is, in fact, the Torah. The Torah is the first five books of the Hebrew Scripture, or the Bible. The law was intended to guide the people faithfully so that they could live within the will of God and enjoy God's blessings. If you remember, there, there was 400 years of slavery, and God, through Moses, sent Moses to Pharaoh, and, and as a result, the, the Israelites were set free from 400 years of oppression, 400 years of slavery. Could you imagine living at home for a month without your mom and dad? Could you imagine letting your kids live at home for a week without you? I mean, they go a day and sometimes you wonder, like, what happened? It's kind of chaotic, right? Things are out of order. Things aren't put in place. The dishes that are meant to go in the cabinets up top are in the cabinets below, and the dishes that are meant to be in the cabinets below are in the pantry, and the food that's supposed to be in the pantry is in the dishwasher, and you're not even sure how that got there. That doesn't make any sense. It's, it's chaos. Well, imagine then being millions of people living in 400 years of oppression with no structure or order but Pharaoh's rule. So what God did through Moses is he offered us the, the Torah or, or, or the law as God intended for, for the people of God to be able to live faithfully in alignment with his will for their life in that season. And if you looked at the, the law more, more intentionally, what we would find is that the Jews used the law in four different ways. The first way they used it was to mean the Ten Commandments. Love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul. Uh, love your neighbor. You know, go on and on and on. Don't commit, don't murder. Don't, you know, don't steal from your neighbor. Don't peek over their fence kind of stuff. Like that, that stuff. Ten Commandments. I know it's just a funny way of saying it. The, the second way in which they use the expression of the law was used to mean the first five books of the Bible, which we just discussed, the Torah, or also known as the Pentateuch. To Jews, this was the most important part of the Bible. 
the most important part. The third way in which they used it was the, the, the phrase the law was to mean the, the whole of Scripture. They used it as a comprehensive description of what would be called or is known as the whole Old Testament. Genesis to Malachi. And then the fourth way they used it was, was to mean the oral or scribal law. And, and this was actually used most often when men were to refer to the law, men as, as a whole. Okay, And what it's important to note specifically about the oral or scribal law is that this is where man made rules and regulations that took the law, the Torah, God's original design to keep order and to guide and direct his people beyond God's original design and intent. They took one rule and made it ten. They took 10 rules and made it 30. They took 30 rules and made it 100. And before you knew it, you couldn't even get through the first page of rules before you'd already failed. Which is why it felt so difficult and so hard to feel like you could be loved by God or believe that he did, in fact, love you so much. And I think it's worth noting that while Paul is speaking about this very topic, he can speak to the topic from experience, particularly the law. Why? Because Paul was an expert in the law. If you recall, before Paul was Paul, he was Saul, who was a Pharisee, one of a group of Jews who policed the boundary of the law and made sure that, that they and any others who were unfaithful to the law of Moses would be either removed from their, their community excluded from the church, or in some cases, even killed. Didn't follow the law, denounce it, or be killed. It's in Scripture. Go and read Acts chapter 6. Saul was standing there as Stephen, who was prayed over and released to serve and lead the people, proclaimed Jesus. Paul stood there and approved of his death by stoning holding the cloaks of the men throwing stones. And so I think if we're speaking about anyone who has the right to talk about the matters of the law, Paul would fit the bill. And I think this is exactly why he says in himself late, earlier on in, in Galatians chapter 2, as he's writing to this church, he says this in verse 19, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Verse 21 says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Christ died for nothing. If I was to summarize here what he was saying, it's this. It is, I, it is no longer I who lives, but rather Christ through his spirit who lives in me. You see, right living could not be gained through the law. A righteous life could not be gained through the law, but rather through Christ's death and resurrection, it could be attained. And so now, with the help of his spirit, I am maturing in Christ's likeness, which then trumps the need for the law 
Otherwise, as he states, Christ would have died for nothing. And if that were the case, you'd be still single file lying in with your sacrifice, coming into the temple of God and not going any further than basically the cafe. We'd get your list of, of, of sins and we'd come into this holy of holies and we'd come before the presence of God and we'd, on your behalf, Paul is saying if that were still the case, then Christ would have died for nothing because law cannot and will never be able to help us live a righteous life. You see, the whole purpose of Christ's death and resurrection was to restore us back to him. And as a result, we would then see ourselves as he sees us. as his sons and as his daughters and whom he made in his image. In his image. When you look in the mirror, what do you see? For those of us who pursue God, who chase after him, who find our hope in him, and we begin to to, to walk in step with him and, and keep in step with his spirit and allow the spirit of God to, to mature in us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against these things, there is no law, which then should be able to and help us to, to, to see in the mirror the image of God. That's the hope. That's his, 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 his greatest desire. And it, it, it is why when we baptize you with water, we also believe that through Scripture we learn that we're also being filled or baptized with the Spirit. Which is why Paul can proclaim in Corinthians, we are made new. And he says so in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and 17. He says, therefore, any person, any person, not some persons, not this person or that person, but any person is engrafted in Christ, the Messiah. He then is a new creation, a new creature altogether. The old, previous, moral, and spiritual condition has passed away. Behold, the fresh and the new has come. The fresh and the new has come, or as so eloquently stated, so fresh and so clean. You and I are so fresh and so clean, which gives me hope that Outcast actually got the lyrics from that song from my man Paul. <laughs> One could pray and hope. We are made fresh and new in Christ Jesus. We are made fresh and clean in no one else, completely, entirely, not on the exterior. Can I offer you this for consideration? It is not a cleansing of the exterior. This is a complete transformation from the inside out. You are made new in Christ Jesus, which then says that no law can accomplish that. There's no law that can make you clean. There's no law that can transform you from the inside out. You will just look as like someone who is following the law as the Pharisees or we also know the hypocrites so often did. 
But to be known as a son or daughter of Christ, to be known by our fruit, it is something that has to happen transactionally from the inside out. I could go take a shower and smell good, but I'll tell you what, you could still tell whether or not I have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Just because I smell good doesn't mean I act good. Just because I smell good doesn't mean I'm patient. Just because I smell good doesn't mean I'm loving. Just because I smell good doesn't mean I have self-control. When that person walks into my life and offers me an opportunity to take a step outside of the things that matter most to God, when I smell good, I don't always act good. Which tells me no law can accomplish what Jesus came to fulfill for us, that we would be transformed from the inside out. And we would be made and we would understand who we are in Christ, a son or daughter in whom he is so pleased. I haven't preached like that in a while. No law can accomplish that. No law can restore us back to his original design. No law can take us back to the garden. No law can do that. But his spirit can. And when his spirit is in us, it begins to transform us into his likeness and his image. Come back with me to Galatians chapter 5. And, and let's look at what Paul says next in verse 24. Because I think now it will make so much more sense. Here's what he says. He says, those who belong to Christ Jesus. Those who have, who have, who have put their faith and their hope in him. Those who have repented and sought forgiveness for their shortcomings, their sins, the areas in their life where they've missed the mark, those who have been baptized and received the gift of the Holy Spirit, those who pursue him and commit to walking faithfully with him, those who belong to Christ. That's what that means. You and I who belong now to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And Paul can say that because he knows firsthand that when we put our faith in Christ Jesus, when we receive his spirit and we follow him, we are free. For Paul, it happened in an instant. On the road to Damascus. On his way with new orders to martyr and kill more Christians. And in a moment, with one encounter with Jesus Christ, what took place? A radical transformation came over him. And from the inside out, he was set free so that he could live a life that would pursue Christ in a way that would transcend and break down every barrier and open the door for you and I to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Can somebody get excited about that? And is it possible that there is yet even still in this moment another Paul waiting for a life-transforming moment in the presence of God where Jesus will reveal himself to that very person. And as a result, another generation of people will come to know the love of Christ, not because of the law or the regulation or the judgment, but because of the grace and the kindness and the loving care of you and I that we have for others now because of what we've experienced through Christ. Paul could say that because he knew firsthand. The flesh had been crucified for Paul on that day. And every day thereforth, as he committed his life to pursuing Christ, his flesh had been crucified as he shares over and over and over again through his letters. And what that truly means is that the power that has been over him has been destroyed. 
and he's been free from its power and the flesh no longer has control and the passions and desires that once drove him no longer have authority over his life simply because he commits daily to being in the presence of God. And here's what I want you to understand. This doesn't give us freedom to go do whatever we want, as he says. This is why that's so important to understand. It doesn't mean you get to go do whatever you want. No, but what he says in my emphasis in Galatians chapter 5 and 13 and 14, he says, not free in the way we can use our freedom to indulge in sinful nature, but rather to serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Let me say it to you another way. If you are to live by any law, if you are an Enneagram 1 and you need a black and white, and you need a law to live by, then let me offer you this one. It's not the law that leads to sinful behavior and indulgence, but rather a law that serves one another in love. It's not the law that judges and condemns one another, but rather a way of living that gently restores and carries each other's burdens, which fulfills the law of Christ, as outlined in Galatians chapter 6. If we are to live by a law, may it be the law of love. Or as Jesus says in John 13, 34, he says, A new command I give you, love one another, as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If you love one another. How do we do this? Well, Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 5, verse 25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. If you remember, to keep in step simply means to walk in line behind a leader. Or, as another translation might read, walk by the Spirit. And, and I don't know about you, but when I think of walk by the Spirit, I, I get this picture of somebody coming alongside me. Come on, Max. I'm going to use Max as my demonstration. And walking with me. Walking by the Spirit. Walking by the Spirit. Walking by the Spirit. Walking by the Spirit. The closer I get to Him, the more like Him I become. The more I spend time with Him, the more we start to walk in step with each other. The more I begin to look like Him, the more I begin to talk like Him and sound like Him. Not to change who I am on the outside, but to transform everything about me on the inside. The closer I get to somebody, the more I become like that person. And the more I want to spend time with that person, the more I want to be around that person. The closer I get to somebody, the more I can trust them. The more transparent I can be, the more honest I can be. The closer I get to somebody, the more time I'm going to spend intimately with this person. So we're walking by the Spirit, in the Spirit. I know I could do this because there's not a more connected and more, more physical touch person I know than Max. Anybody else would be like, Pastor, you're getting too close to me. This is a little awkward. I love you, man. Give it up for Max. <laughs> to walk by the Spirit is to be up close and personal with Him. It's to follow His lead and to spend time with Him. It's to keep trusting and leaning into Him. As Brandon said earlier, when it's easy, but more so when it's hard. 
When all things are going well, that's great. But when the proverbial stuff hits the fan, it's then when you get down on your knees or you stand up and you go for a walk and you just look stupid walking down your street like this. Does it really matter? Who cares? Just pull up Twitter or X now, whatever you call it. Do you X or do you tweet? I don't know. And you just get close to the Father. The, the more you, you lean into Him and the more you draw close to Him, the more He will continue to teach you and remind you and empower you to do as Paul so urgently teaches us throughout all of his letters, and that is to be a church that is unified by the Spirit, not divided by the law or the desires of the flesh. That is the primary purpose of the church is to be a unifier, not a divider. And as long as I'm breathing, my greatest desire is that we would unify the body of Christ, not stand here bringing division over the body of Christ. It's why we can boldly and matter-of-factly say, against such things, there is no law. Against such people who keep in step with the Spirit, against those who continue to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit in their lives, there is no law. Rather, there are a people who are known by their fruit. A people who look more like Christ because love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are being cultivated in their lives. Against such thing, there is no law and the desires of the flesh are crucified. But rather, there's a people who love one another as Christ has loved us. Can I just ask you to stand with me this morning, church, as we close? I think if I were to be really honest with you, this is what it means to live a fresh, fruit of the Spirit kind of life. A people who love one another as Christ has loved us. If we can understand that, and we can begin to see that cultivated in our life, it's then we will begin to live a fresh fruit of the Spirit kind of life. It's then, as Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 25 in the Amplified Version, we can claim to, if we claim to live by the Spirit, we can in fact claim to live by the Spirit. And then we, we, we can then begin to claim that we walk by the Spirit, which then inside produces personal integrity, godly character, and moral courage. And it empowers our conduct to be Spirit-powered, not fleshly or worldly-powered. So I would, I would ask you this. What's currently powering your life? the things of this world or the spirit what's the posture of your heart right now towards your neighbor is it loving and kind and patient and caring gentle or is it discouraged or frustrated or, or angry currently right now Are you more inclined to give in to the impulses of your flesh than you are to have self-control over them? I'm not here to embarrass you or to judge you. What I, I simply want to do is just ask you this. 
Is it possible that maybe you've never received the gift of the Spirit in a way that would begin to produce or cultivate in you love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? I'm going to ask everyone to close your eyes. And if that's you this morning, I don't know that I've ever received the gift of the Spirit. Or I'm unsure. Or I'm a little bit angry with my neighbor. Maybe some of those attributes or characteristics are a little healthier than the others, but I, I want to continue to learn how to keep in step with the Spirit. I want to get closer to Him so that I look more like Him. If that's you this morning, with every eye closed, would you just do a brave thing and just lift your hands to heaven and say, that's me, right where you are. Not to judge or condemn. There's, no one's looking to embarrass you. We're not going to call you out. You're just like, you know, I want to be filled with the Spirit. Just lift your hands to heaven. I need more of you, Lord. I need more of your spirit in me. I'm running a little low right now. I haven't spent as much time with you recently. I've been more concerned with the rules and the regulations than I have been the freedom that is found in your presence. I've been a little bit more judgmental than I have been kind or loving. I'm just going to wait a moment. We're not in a hurry. If that's you, every eye closed. You can lift your hands high. You can turn your palms to heaven. It doesn't matter. God will see your move. This is between you and the Lord. You just make your move. He'll see it. To you, it might be something insignificant as taking your hand out of your pocket. To him, it's a mile. Thank you, Jesus. And here's what, we're gonna, here's what I'm going to pray. Just a simple prayer. You can echo this prayer in your heart. Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come into my life. Fill me. Fill me. Fill me to overflowing. Let your Spirit draw me close. Let your Spirit cultivate in me love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Let your Spirit help me to walk with you and to learn to keep in step with you. That as your Word says, by your Spirit, may I be free from whatever's keeping me hostage or holding me back from pursuing and experiencing the fullness of life that is made possible through Jesus. I pray right now, Lord, that whatever law, whatever rules, whatever regulations have trapped your people from experiencing freedom in you, I pray that they'd be broken right now in Jesus' name. And with just a simple prayer, come Holy Spirit, your spirit would come and would bring healing and would bring restoration and would bring freedom. In Jesus' name. Just stay here for a moment. And I'll finish with this. Christopher Wright said, Paul longed that Christian believers would be so filled with the Holy Spirit that Christ himself would actually be shaping their whole lives from the inside out. So for us, as we close this series, that is my prayer. My greatest desire is for you and for our church that as followers of Jesus will be so filled with the Holy Spirit 
that Christ himself would actually be shaping our whole lives, not from the outside in, but from the inside out. And that by his spirit, we would live a life of personal integrity, godly character, and moral courage. That our conduct would be empowered by no one else than the Holy Spirit. Father, I thank you for what you're doing in us. I thank you for what you're doing through us. And I thank you, Father, for what you're about to do in this next season as we commit ourselves to following you, to walking with you, and to keeping in step with your Spirit. Help us to look more like you. Draw us closer than ever before so that from the inside out, we would be formed and shaped more like you than ever before. Thank you, Father, for your spirit that you sent us to comfort us, to heal us, to strengthen us, to guide us, to counsel us, but most importantly, to produce in us your spirit, your fruit, your character, so that we might show what you are like to all the world. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen.